All right, Roger Hanna, the time is yours. Thank you. Um, yeah, I'm a little nervous, and it's really strange being up here talking in a microphone. <laughs> I wanted to just say a couple of words to put this in context. And in Genesis 1.1, it says, God created the heaven and the earth. And I just wanted to remind us all that it is that God. It is the God that created this whole universe that is our God. And he created the heaven and the earth for us to enjoy. And the reason he did that was so that we could give him glory. And occasionally, he steps in. You know, he set up all the rules of physics and everything. And, um, you know, everything works on a day-to-day -day basis as we expect it to. But occasionally, God steps in and does something unusual. And this is a story about how God actually does that a lot. We may not realize it. And this story is unique, but for each of you, you have a story that you could tell where God has stepped in numerous times, and you may not even realize it. But anyway, I'm going to hand over to Hannah to just uh, start with her side of the story. Thank you. So we're going to start. We can, you've got the first slide up there. Aha. Now, I promise you we are not going to start from minute one and go through every year of my life, okay? So we'll get that out of the way right away. Um, but my story obviously does start here. As you can see, um, this is, I was born in, I was born at 26 weeks, 43 years ago, and I weighed one pound and 12 ounces. Um, my parents were told then there's no way she's going to make it, make funeral arrangements. Well, as you can see, they were wrong. Um, I was on a ventilator for three months. I did not make any effort whatsoever to breathe, so I'm told. I don't remember it, um, <laughs> thankfully. However, when it came time to the, my, the doctor told my parents, she's got to come off. She's been on the ventilator way too long. You, uh, some of you may or may not know you can only be on a ventilator so long. And they said, she's been on it too long. We're going to take her off. She's made no effort to breathe, so be prepared. Well, when they took me off, I decided to breathe. I think I just didn't want the tube down my throat. So there you go. So it started there. However, by the time I came home from the hospital at three months of age, I was fine. This is me at three months' age. Um, I was doing fine, except for being small, being a preemie. There was no real problems, at least that I was aware of at that moment. Um, until 2006. This is to show you, I'm sorry, um, that I was well and healthy up until 2006. So I'm shooting a gun and various, that's hunting people, not, you know, okay. Um, yes, doing normal things that people do. Um, however, in 2006, that's another one you can keep going. No, that's 2007. Sorry, go back, please. I'm sorry, y'all. I'm not used to the pictures. I'm used to just telling the story. Um, in 2006, I was, well, I started having trouble walking. I would um, get up from my office. I was a um, uh, insurance adjuster, and I would get up and walk around and start, I stumbled into the walls, and I was having real issues walking, and um, it was not pretty. I went to the doctor, I think I saw every neurologist in Lakeland, and was finally diagnosed with a very rare terminal neurological disease called spinocerebellar ataxia. 
Um, at the time I was diagnosed, there's 30 subtypes of the disease, and mine was Friedrich's ataxia, which usually claims you between five and seven years of diagnosis, and that was in 2006. Um, by 2007, I was on hospice. I actually ended up being on hospice three times over my adult life. Um, of course, as you know, probably when you're on hospice, they tell you you've got six months left. So they kicked me off the first time. I stayed off for a few months. They put me back on. They kicked me off again three times. Um, it really, my story for me got really um, personal, and I'm sorry, I'll get emotional. <laughs> in 2012, um, in September, I had gotten to where I was like, there's no way I'm done with this. I'm completely done. Um, the doctor told me that I'd be lucky if I could just sit and stare at a wall, that intellectually I would be fine. I would lose all control of my muscles. Um, spinocerebellar ataxia atrophies your cerebellum, so it involves walking, speech, um, balance. I couldn't do this. You know, I couldn't eat without shaking. Um, I walked with leg braces that were in my shoes and used a walker for short distances. When that didn't work, I used a wheelchair. Um, and I was pretty much wheelchair-bound, except for the short walk in, I think, 2007. Well, this is 2012. I was taken to um, Lakeland Regional. Uh, my parents were told that I had months left, if I was lucky, days to months. And I was done. And I was like, God, I'm done. I'm tired. This is terrible. It's just hard. And I had quit eating or drinking for 32 days. And the doctors kept saying, how long was it that you didn't eat or drink? And I said, 32 days. And they're like, that's not possible. So they took, turned to my mom. How long has it been since she ate or drank? 32 days. Okay. And that night, after everybody left and had said their goodbyes to me, I said to God, God, I'm done. Well, he said to me in my heart, no, you're not. He said, Hannah. And this is where my birth really became, the, the, the circumstances of my birth really became real to me. Obviously, it was about me, but it wasn't real to me. Then it became real because he told me, Hannah, I gave you life. You weren't supposed to live then, and I gave you the gift of life, and you're not done. And you can stop eating as long as you want. Now, y'all can think I'm crazy, but he talks to me like this because I'm bullheaded. So he does. He's like, you can stop eating and drinking for as long as you want it, but until I say you're done, you are not done. Well, I left the hospital after almost a month there. Still, I was like, well, okay, God, but I wasn't thrilled. <laughs> but I guess you're right. Not knowing that within the next six months, I was, or so, I was going to meet Roger. That's where I come in. <laughs> <laughs> Just give you a very brief um summary of my involvement. Um, I basically came here in 2002 and married a wonderful Christian lady called Lynn, who uh, had a disease called, um, oh, what was it called? RSD, reflex sympathetic dystrophy, which meant that she had constant pain in her legs and was in a, a wheelchair a lot. So I was an experienced wheelchair pusher. And um, it was great. Lynn had this wonderful ministry where she would be on Facebook and she would have lots of people that she used to pray with, pray for, witness to, encourage, etc. Hannah was one of those people. 
And so I knew about Hannah because she was this little waif that was about to die. <laughs> and, you know, we both prayed for her. Um, anyway, in 2013, um, after battling for some time with bladder cancer, Lynn died. And it wasn't until then that I met Hannah. Um, I won't go into all the details of that, but Hannah was about to go into hospital to have a pain pump, an internal pain pump put in, uh, because she had a lot of pain in her legs. And she didn't have anybody to visit her in hospital, and I was on bereavement leave, and I thought, well, you know, uh, she was a friend of Lynn's. I can go to the hospital and encourage her, and that sort of started everything off. Um, we fell in love, and... I asked her to marry me, and she said no, um, because she didn't want me to go through what I'd just been through again. Um, at the time, we thought she maybe had two, three years at the most uh, left to live. But I was persistent. Um, I'm bullheaded too. <laughs> and so we, we decided uh, to get married. Now, July 4th, 2013, Hannah was taken to Lakeland Regional, and she was basically catatonic. Uh, she was not responsive, didn't make any sense if she spoke, and basically was completely out of it. And everybody thought, you know, this is it. She's going to die. This was before we married, of course. Um, so I was up at the hospital visiting, and, you know, she was unresponsive, so I, I, I started praying for her. And I thought, you know, that I was going to be praying, you know, God heal her or, or whatever. But the Holy Spirit led me in a different way and led me to pray that we would dedicate our lives to serving him. It was a little more complicated than that was when I prayed, but it was basically that was the gist of it. That instead of praying for her to be healed, I was praying for us to dedicate our lives to him, which seems strange, but... Lo and behold, she's still here, <laughs> and our lives are still dedicated to him. Um, so where do we go from there? I think it's over to you. Okay, so we got married in November of 2013, which I think there's a picture that's not, there you go. Um, I was in a beach wheelchair, <laughs> um, which was kind of cool. So um, we got married. In January of 2014, as he said, I had a, a pain pump put in, um, and uh, it had a, what do you call that thing? Sorry. Uh, it's a, a device a, to activate a bolus dose. Yes, a device that communicated with the, with the pain pump. And in 2014, we went to go visit a friend in Winter Haven Hospital. We actually were um, stopping at CVS to get a card for her, and Roger got me out of the wheelchair and this guy started walking up in the parking lot, and I was like, well, I think something's up with this. Well, it was so fast, he reached down. I had my purse wedged in my wheelchair. He reached down and grabbed my purse and just ran off. And I wasn't hurt. He wasn't hurt. We were just both kind of like, what, what was that? Well, in my purse, though, was that little, sorry, I can't think of the word, device that um, communicated with my pain pump. And the thing with that pain pump, it was an experimental procedure, um, so only um, Moffitt could mess with it. So if I went to an emergency room, they'd be like, oh, no, we're not touching you. First off, you have a disease that we don't even, we can't even 
pronounced. And secondly, you have this pain pump, so we're not touching you. Well, I flipped out that weekend, and I was like, oh, man, I'm, I'm without this device. I won't be able to control my pain. I'm not going to make it. It's, I mean, I really panicked. It was really bad. And, um, but God, again, looking back now, God was like, oh, but wait. I made it through that weekend. We had the device replaced. But I tell you that because that got me thinking again that, Hannah, the story isn't over. You just, you just wait. And so I was like, okay. Well, um, then there's a, 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 a run called, I always say the wrong one, Autism Awareness um, that runs around Lake Hollingsworth. And I, I used to love running. I loved to run before I got sick. I ran a lot. And I told Roger, I wish I could run that thing. It would be so fun. And he said, well, I can push your wheelchair. Yeah, I mean, I'd had plenty of practice at pushing wheelchairs, and I could run a little bit, so we thought we'd give it a try. So we, we practiced. Um, we got up every morning early, and we I'd push the wheelchair a bit, and Hannah would push it some. And so every morning we'd do uh, basically a 5K. Um, and... You know, she'd push some, and she got up to where she could push it for about a mile. Wow. Mm -hmm. But anyway, for the autism awareness run, um, we entered as a team, and I did the pushing. Yes. <laughs> and we didn't come in last. There no. were some, you know, ladies with toddlers in wheelchairs that came right. behind us. <laughs> 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 but that's us on, on the run. Um, so yeah. that was exciting. And then, you know, we were continuing practicing because Hannah wanted to be able to do this on her own without me pushing. Um, and so we continued practicing in the wheelchair. And one morning, um, it was a habit when, when we went out from the apartment, um, there were speed bumps. And she'd always push her wheelchair and fly over the speed bumps. Well, one morning, I was pushing. And I thought, we'll do the same thing. So I approached this speed bump to go over it. <laughs> and, you know, uh, wheelchairs are funny things. So I was pushing it over the wheelchair. The front wheels go over. But instead of following the speed bump down, they came off the ground. Well, I don't know whether you know, but the front wheels of wheelchairs are, are casters. And those things just went chunk, sideways. So when they hit the ground, that wheelchair stopped dead. Mm -hmm. Hannah flew out of the wheelchair, <laughs> took three paces. This is somebody who can't walk. I did. <laughs> took three steps and stopped standing up. And we thought... Oh, wow. Um, it's kind of like, you know, shock, really. I mean, she was shocked. I was shocked. I hurriedly got the wheelchair close to her so that she could sit back down again. Yeah. Um, but that was, that was the start uh, of God doing something new. So after um, that run, which I was in a wheelchair for, which there's a picture of. Oh, there was. That's okay. Um, we started every every day. We would, like you said, we would do the we would practice. Um, I lost my train of thought. I'm sorry. We would practice. Yes, and and since you'd taken a few steps, you started practicing with your walker some. Yes, and thank you. And one morning, I got up. We were getting ready to go again, and I I had the thought in my head, I should try to walk today. And I thought, well, that's stupid. I haven't walked very far in a really long time. So I thought, you know what? I'm going to ask Roger. He's the more sensible of the two of us. You know, he's, he's, got, a, he's got a good brain, so we're going to ask. So I said, Roger, what do you think of me walking today? And he said, sure, go for it. 
I was like, okay. Well, he told me later, much later, I really thought you might get to the front of the apartment complex and you'd be like, yeah, this is a bad idea and we'd be done. But I told him I have two things while we go on this walk. I'm going to, of course, use my walker. I don't want you to tell me how far we've gone while we're walking. I don't want to know. I don't want to know distance-wise, and I don't want to know time-wise how far we've walked. I just want you to talk to me. Just talk, and we'll walk. So we did, and we walked two miles that day with my walker. The next day, we got up and did it again, and we walked three. Again, this was God helping, starting in my brain, the process of, Hannah, I got plans. Just wait. Yeah, just one one other thing on that. A month before that, um, she'd visited her neurologist, yeah. and um, they were concerned that her muscles in her legs were atrophying. Yeah. Um, so, you know, this is kind of, you don't get up and walk with atrophied muscles uh, without a lot of rehab, and uh, that never happened. There was no rehab. <laughs> so the next day was a Saturday that I will never forget because... Um, Roger went to work. Roger was working at Geico, and I went to the church that I went to at the time. They had a food pantry, and I went to help with the food pantry. Came back that afternoon, and I decided to take a nap, and this is where the story gets very exciting. Yeah, just just as a prelude to that, um, obviously Hannah had walked a little with her walker, yes, and she thought about, you know, maybe taking a few steps without it, and I was going to say to her, don't try walking without your walker unless I'm there with you. And I felt God very strongly tell me, no, this is between Hannah and I. So I didn't say anything. So I obviously didn't know that. And that Saturday after I got up from taking my nap, I sat up and I thought, oh, you know, I've walked around, what, two miles, three miles. So I know I can walk a a little bit with my walker. And so I'm going to walk to check the mail, of course, with my walker. I'm going to walk, check the mail. So I stood up from the couch and grabbed my walker, and I heard God in my heart almost so strongly that it felt audible. It was not, may I be clear on that, but it was that strong in my heart. Hannah, you do not need that walker. And it scared me so bad I sat back down. (laughs) But then I sat thinking of it, and I thought, oh, wait a minute. That was God. I know God's voice, and that's who that was. And I know I can trust him. But I haven't walked in a really long time. So what ensued, I think, was the greatest mental battle I have ever experienced. And I know, I mean, I, I'm, I'm, I accepted the Lord when I was three years old, and I've grown up in church, thankfully. And I know this was a spiritual battle. And so for 10 minutes or more, I don't really know, it seemed I would stand up like, okay, I can do this, and I would sit right back down. But what if I can? I haven't walked in years. I mean, this is ridiculous. And again, I would come back to, but I know that was God, and I know I can trust him. So then the last thought before I finally stood back up for the last time in this little stand-up, sit-down thing, I thought, He may never give me this chance again. If I don't try this now, if I don't walk now, I may never get the chance. I might sit in this wheelchair for the next six months, a year, however long I've got left, which at that time I didn't think was very long. Still, I'm going to try it. Well, then, of course, I'm still fighting this mental battle. So I, I, I went, oh, but wait, everybody in this apartment complex, they've never seen me walk. 
So I'm going to walk outside, and they're all going to come rushing to me, and I won't be able to handle it because I don't like crowds of people, even though I'm staring at a bunch. I don't like crowds of people, and what am I going to do? So I grabbed my sunglasses and put them on. <laughs> I don't know why, but that's what I did. <laughs> and I took my walker, and I set it beside the door. Again, I don't know why I did that, but that's what I did in my coping mechanism, I guess. And I stepped outside that door. Sorry. The first thing I remember is how quiet it was. I don't know if, if y'all have ever been around or experienced um, using a walker. At first, uh, I had foot drop also. Like I told you, I had leg braces. So I could not pick up my feet. They shuffled. So, sorry, I could stand up right. I walked like this, except that I didn't pick my feet up. It was a shuffle. So between the shuffle and the click, click, click of the walker, you know, everywhere you go is noisy. There's no quiet. Well, I walked outside, and I'm walking down the sidewalk, and I went, oh, my word, it's so quiet. I forgot what this sounds like. I can hear the birds. I can hear the wind blowing. I don't hear the shuffle, 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 click, 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 click. It's beautiful out here. So I walked to the mailbox. I got the mail, and um, the way our mailbox was, it was a big storm drain underneath. Whoever designed it was a bad idea. But you had to stand up to make a pretty big step to get to the mailbox. So I got the mail that day, and that day we had a ton of junk mail. So I stuffed it under my arms because, again, if you've ever used a walker, you need your hands free to walk. So I'm stuffing the mail under my arms because that's what I'm used to doing. And I turned around, and I was like, I don't have my walker. I can't move. Uh, so I'm standing there with mail stuffed under my arms going, oh, I can't, I can't get down. And then I just busted out laughing like, okay, Hannah, you can move. So I stepped down, and I walked home. And I sat down on the couch, and it's still, this is all new to me now. This is a new experience, so I'm just kind of absorbing it. And I thought, oh, I should tell Roger who's at work. And so I texted him. Well, I, I was working <laughs> at Geico at the time, so I was got my headset on, and, you know, I'm not really supposed to take phone calls. And this text pops up on my phone. I walked to the mail without my walker. And I just had to take a break, you know, <laughs> in between calls. <laughs> so it was kind of a kind of a shock, but yes. Yes. So that day, I stopped using a walker or a wheelchair. We donated my walker the next day to a lady in church who's now in heaven, but she needed a walker, and so I gave it to her. And the week late that week, that next week, we donated my wheelchair. And. Then uh, it was a month later, we participated in the 5K watermelon run, which I think is on here, and I walked it, the whole thing. <laughs> so one of the things I had to learn through this, this is kind of an aside, but one of the most difficult things I had to learn was to trust God for Hannah. Um, because during all this illness, she was having seizures as well. It wasn't just the fact that she was wheelchair-bound and couldn't walk. She would have seizures for no apparent reason. Um, and, you know, it takes a lot of faith to know that someone you love could have a seizure and die on their own and you're not there. And, you know, to go to work and to know that she's on her own at home and this could happen is really takes a lot of faith. <laughs> 
Um, but I had to come to the realization that, you know, God's in charge, and God's in charge of Hannah, and whether she lives or dies is not up to me or her, it's up to God. And so that was a big lesson for me, to learn to trust God for someone else. For myself, yes, no problem. You know, if I get a nasty disease, I believe God can deal with it, or, you know, I go to heaven, whichever, it doesn't matter. But for somebody else, it, it's a hard thing. So we went back to the neurologist. Well, first of all, we went back to the guy that put in the pain pump and said, you know what, I don't think I need my pain pump anymore. Um, so that's the part I had forgotten about the device that connected with the pain pump. Um, after I got the new one, um, I was always pushing it. It wouldn't give you an overdose, but it seemed like it never worked. And um, that was one point where I finally threw it down in our room, and I said, you know what, God, this thing doesn't work. I don't know what to do anymore, so you tell me when to push it again. You tell me. And again, that's a turning point that uh, it's a lesson that I think we can all learn, and I'm very stubborn to learn it, is I was still trying to control what happened to me. I was trying to say, I got this. I can do this. I'll get through this, whatever. And God was trying to tell me, but it took years, um, Hannah, <laughs> I got this. And it's when I finally, in desperation, let go and said, you know what, I can't do this. I started to see big, big changes that I never, never imagined. So we went back to the pain pump doctor and finally convinced him to take the pain pump out. It took a lot of convincing. He had never taken one out. He said, I don't even have any protocol for taking out a pain pump. I put them in. So we convinced him, and then we went back to the neurologist who kept saying, I don't know what to say, Hannah, because nobody recovers from spinocerebellar ataxia. It is a terminal disease. You don't even get better. There's no remission. There's no getting a little better. It doesn't happen. So I said, well, did you misdiagnose me? No, I have gone over and over your records. I don't think I've misdiagnosed you. So come back in a year. So, okay, so we went back in a year, and again, she's looking at the scans, and she said, if I look at your scans and look at you, she said, your cerebellum is still atrophied. It just looks just like it did when you were diagnosed. You should not be able to talk. You should not be able to move around, let alone walk and run. You should not be able to do things that require motor skills, and yet you are. So how do you explain this? And I said, well... I know, I know, she says, I know what you're going to say. You're going to say it's God. And she goes, what I want to know is what you did. What are you taking? And then she turns to Roger, what did you do? And again, what, you know, I said, I haven't taken anything new. I can't, I can't say that anybody did this except God. There is no explaining this except God. You just told me. No, 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 it's not God. But it is God. Yeah, I, th I think that's that's the thing. There were a lot of people praying. I mean, yes. God is the only one that can intervene in that way and do anything miraculous. But there were a lot of people praying for Hannah. Um, and God listens to prayers. And, you know, he has a plan. And part of that plan was when she got better, she decided she wanted to work. Well, she tried getting jobs and even Walmart wouldn't employ her. Um, never gotten a reply, you know. And so we said, I, I, I remembered that she had said, 
she wanted to be a respiratory therapist. And I said, well, why don't you go back to school and do that? And so she did. I mean, there were some interesting timing issues over that. <laughs> but God paved the way, and it all went through smoothly. Uh, he even paid for it. Um, we got a grant, and you know everything everything was paid for. Um, so that was interesting, and and there was even a plan in that. There were some interesting stories. There was, and we can close with this, and then the excerpt. Um, uh, I did become a respiratory therapist. I graduated in 2017 as a respiratory therapist, and again, that was God showing me, and I hope by our story showing you. This is not a bragging session on us. It is a bragging session on God because he knew. I wanted to be a respiratory therapist um, years before I got sick. And obviously, uh, right about the time I got sick was when I was I had already talked to Polk State. It was the first year they'd done the respiratory program, and I was set to enroll. And then I got sick. And so that was one of those things that I thought, gosh, man, I really wanted to do this, but this is a dream that I will never achieve. Well, again, God was like, guess what? I got news for you. Your story is not over. And I hope that's a takeaway for all of you because you're sitting here breathing. I can see that you're all breathing, and I'm an expert, so I'm sure you're breathing. But your story's not over. It's not over. He did allow me to go to respiratory school, and I worked as a therapist for about eight months before I had to quit for um, some ongoing issues. Um, but there is one story I wanted to tell you because it reiterates how God's hand is in everything. And you can choose to see it, and you can choose to acknowledge it. And I will tell you, the more you take the opportunity to see where he's leading and what he's doing, I think the more he allows you to see. I really do. I, th I mean, there are so many things that you can just be like, oh, my gosh, that was God. That was God. And yeah, that was God. And I think the more you get the mindset of he's got this he knows what he's doing, and he has a plan for you, it's a good thing. Well, this one day, I was already having issues as a therapist. I was having some health issues, and I loved being a respiratory therapist, and quite frankly, I was good at it. The reason being is I was a patient, and so I was, some of the things that were um, learned from, you know, uh, people in my class that they had to learn to do came naturally to me because I had been a patient. And um, this one day, I was just really struggling, and I had had this lady, and um, I had given her a breathing treatment, and we have a list that tells you every four hours or six hours or whatever the treatment, it's not hardest, if you can read, you can do it, and but I had, so I had a list, but this one day, I'd given her treatment, and I walked back into her room four hours later, and I was putting on my gloves, and I turned around and saw her in the bed, and she's crying, and I her name and I said well what's wrong and she said well the doctor was just in and said that I'm gonna have to go home on oxygen and I still work and I'm really bothered by this and she was just bawling and I've been on oxygen so I'm well aware of it can be life-altering and I said okay first of all I'm the one that tells you if you're gonna go home on oxygen and I have a feeling you're not gonna need it but at this point I really can't tell you but if you do you may not stay on it forever. It might be a temporary thing until you get over what you're battling, and you'll be fine. I said, you know, it's okay. Take a treatment. So I looked down and thought, okay, and I started. I pulled out the medication, and I looked down at the sheet, and I was like, oh, my word. She's over six-hour treatment, and I'm in here, and it's only been four hours. I am such an idiot. 
And so I told her, oh, I'm sorry, I'll see you in two hours. And I walked out her door, and I was, for the next two hours, in my mind, I was the biggest idiot in the world. I was like, God, I can't even keep straight. Who's supposed to have a treatment? And I didn't give her a treatment, so that's good. But, you know, I can't even keep it straight. So for two hours, in my mind, I'm just playing. I'm a dumb an idiot. I'm a dumb idiot. So irritated at myself that I couldn't even manage to give this poor lady her right treatments. Well, two hours later, I walked into this lady's room. And she had a phone, and it was a flip phone. And she put it down. And I said, I have a phone just like that. And she didn't even miss a beat. And she said, and you believe in God, too, don't you? I just paused. And I said, what makes you think I believe in God? And she said, because of what happened two hours earlier. And I said, what happened? I came in your room, and I wasn't supposed to. You weren't supposed to have a treatment. It was a mistake. And she said, oh, no, it wasn't. I said, but it was, and she said, no, no, it wasn't. She said, you see, about five minutes before you came into my room, I had really gotten upset. She said, I was really scared, and so I prayed, God, I'm discouraged. I need someone to come into my room and tell me it's going to be okay. I need to know you're up there, and she said, you are the one that walked into my room. So I knew beyond any doubt that if that was the only reason I went to respiratory school, that was reason enough. In fact, when I had to quit being a therapist, I remember Roger told me, Hannah, God lets you go to school even if it was for eight months because he's that kind of a God. He's extravagant. He cares about us. He let your dream come true, and you minister to people, at least that one. So I think that's a, an important lesson that we can all learn that, God cares so much for each one of us that he is prepared to uh, save a baby that should have died at birth, um, heal somebody that had a terminal disease, put them through respiratory school only to work for eight months just because he wants to minister to you. So, you know, God, God loves us and he is a big God. read the last one? So, this is a, a quote from a book. I got permission from the author. Our life is truly a short story. God knows it from beginning to end. While sometimes he gives us glimpses of part of it, he is the only one who sees the big picture. Why is it then that we sometimes have a hard time trusting him? Matthew twenty one eighteen states, but not a hair of your head shall be lost. So, what is holding you back from allowing God to make a beautiful short story out of your life? Is it fear, discouragement? He can make your wildest dreams come true, and he promises never to leave his children. The best part is that you can know how your story ends, because Jesus Christ died and took upon his body the sin that we have done. Surrender to him, ask his forgiveness, and give him the pen. The end, then, of your short story will be an eternity in heaven, praising Jesus. Until that end, he will guide you in the most adventurous, abundant time of your life. Hand him your life and watch it unfold.
thank you, Hannah, and thank you, Roger, for your story, and thank you for sharing that with us tonight. It's really difficult to follow something up uh, with something like that, and I think, of course, the journey that they took us on tonight, and then the conclusion is very uh, appropriate to the end as we come to a conclusion. I was reminded in uh, James, are we, are we have feedback from somewhere, is it me? Thank you. I was reminded. Number two, guys. There we go. I was reminded in James 5.16 as they were sharing their story about the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man avails much. And they brought attention to the fact that there were a lot of people who were praying. And no doubt that they were praying through that process as well. When I study out this passage in James 5, we as a church, we believe that God answers prayer. Uh, we have heard a story of that very clearly tonight. We also believe that it is God who heals the afflicted. It's God who forgives us of our sin. It's God who tests our faith. And ultimately, it is God who sometimes chooses for us to be healed. And though sometimes it's easy for us to hear a story like that and say, I want to be on that team. Like, I, wanted, I want my afflictions and my ailments to be that incredible story. You were in the wheelchair how many years? Eight? Eight years? Yeah, eight, eight years, walker, and then and I then can the walk with a walker for short distances. I had leg races, and I used a walker. But if it was for very far, I used a wheelchair for a year, about eight years. Yeah, and and so as we kind of think through those things, we're like, you know, I want my afflictions to be taken care of, but sometimes God chooses to heal, and then sometimes He chooses not to heal. But the effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man, so the effectual, the continual, passionate, fervent prayer of the righteous avails and accomplishes much. So our prayer is that, God, your will would be done and that your grace will be always sufficient through my journey. And though our stories may not have the end where we visualize, I kind of want to see a reenactment of that wheelchair hitting that speed bump, you know? And, like, that's the climax there where the speed bump, you know, is hit and then the wheelchair stops, but Hannah doesn't. You know, and she goes flying and like that's the moment we all want in our life. Like just throw me out of the wheelchair, God, and then everything will be better. But sometimes God doesn't allow the speed bump to result in the way we want it to. And so we have to be willing to just depend on God every step of the way. And that's what I love about this story is that it's incredible and a tearjerker to see and hear about how God chose to heal but also the great confidence that comes when you just fully depend on God. And that was their story, and that was their journey that they pass on to us tonight. So thank you both for that tonight. Well, let's pray, and uh, let's just thank God for what he brought to our minds tonight and uh, what we were reminded of with his truth. Father, we're thankful for the time together to be able to hear this testimony and to hear the story. And Lord, we, we partner with them and we cry tears of joy with them. We, we have our heart just really pulled on and even our emotions amazed. But we know that it is all directed to you. And I thank you that that is what the Williams are doing with their story. They're pointing everything to you all the time. Thank you that even a doctor was able to see for themselves the reality of something that is unspeakable, unheard of, but that it was thrown to you and for your glory. I thank you for how you have impacted so many people because of this. 
So I pray that tonight we would go from here and we would look at our own story and see that there is a purpose and there is a reason. There is a reason why you have planned it for us. And maybe it's just a five-minute conversation that we're going to have with somebody, or maybe it's a journey that we'll walk with, through with somebody else because of our experience, or maybe it's just the lessons that we'll learn about who you are in our life. Help us not to doubt. Help us not to become weary. Help us, Lord, to stay stable and true, to be faithful to the end. Thank you for how you work. Thank you for how you test us. Thank you for stretching us. May we be willing to get out of our comfort zone and may we be willing to proclaim your goodness. May we be a people of effectual, fervent prayers. May we look to see what you will accomplish. We know that you are a God who answers prayer. We know that you are a God who heals the afflicted. We know that you are a God who forgives our sins. And we know that you are a God who sometimes chooses to heal and sometimes not to heal. But we're going to just depend on the sovereignty of who you are. And we're going to walk through life's journey with great confidence and great peace. Thank you for the perfect peace that comes because our eyes are locked in on you and we trust completely in you. So tonight as we close, would you bring us to that place, a place of full surrender to who you are and what you choose to do in our life.